1: Podiobooks.com in association with PJValentine.net and WritersExchange.com presents Weaver's Web. Written and read by Philippa Valentine. Ashimae was honest. After days of confinement, the time for action had come. Clan pride would no longer allow them to remain confined in Skellig's walls. The weavers were at the gate, and the challenge must be answered. It was, perhaps, the weakness of the clan, but it was also their honour. She stood at the head of the scarlet wolves, and her heart swelled. She recalled her pride that first day when her name had been called. She scarcely believed that the wolves had chosen her to be one of them. And now here she was, leading them into battle. To her right stood Connor, Roseau, and Merrick. To her left were Guston, Crinus, and Jerus, Ashimae drew in a deep breath, letting it roll down her throat like a fine wine. Death's shadow contained the sweetest air her father had once told her. It was true. A small contingent of godlings and mothers had volunteered to go down with them, surprising to think of the divine wishing to join in the slaughter, but then, as she may suppose they'd seen as much horror as anyone else had. Celistra was among their ranks, ignoring Merrick and Lou to join them. All had traded their long robes for armor like the wolves. Everyone behind her wore the scarlet. Priest or warrior, it was impossible to tell the difference. She raised her hand in signal, and the archers atop the walls began their work. Clanswomen, with their beloved polished curved bows, poured a stream of iron-tipped arrows into the mass of weavers below, while each of the two cauldron boys tipped their precious cargo down from the battlements. As the oily sludge approached them, the weavers retreated, some not fast enough. One more fire arrow was all it took. They all heard the screams and smelt the stench, but these flames would be shorter sure lived than last. Nearly all of the oil reserves were gone. This fire would only last bare minutes. Still it would be enough to clear the ground around the walls. as she may turn to the walls and raised her shield high. Today we are the honour of crisfell lads. Today we show the weavers what we're made of. So let's do what the wolves do best. They cheered and pounded their shields in response. The rhythm was a familiar one, which hammered in her head and brought on battle lust and pride. Wolves! 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 The warriors repeated in time with their shields. It rumbled around the bailey like thunder. One of the archers returned Ashime's signal, and she in turn nodded to the gatekeepers. The portcullis was raised, and the sally port opened wide. Ashime roared the loudest as she held her rage in check. Then she charged. The tribes of crisfell were known for their charges. Full of anger and blind courage, they spurred themselves down the hill. The smoke of the fire obscured the weavers briefly. They leapt over charred remains and made swiftly for the survivors. When the lines met, it was a mighty pounding of two fists against each other. They buckled once, then stretched and merged. Ashime's sword raised and came down amongst the weaver's flesh. The smash of metal on bone ran up her arm. All of her being was concentrated on those precious instants where her life would be decided. Blood engulfed her. The screams of anger and pain echoed off Skellard's walls. Faces deformed and strange lurched at her. Claws and teeth reached for purchase about her. A fang caught against her green. She kicked out hard. "'Connecting with a downed weaver. "'There was no finesse, no glory in this fight. "'No sparring, no dazzling repartee. "'Just hack and slash and stay alive. "'The weavers screamed as they died, "'the first sign that they felt pain. cries were eerily. human sounds that cut to the ear. "'But clansmen died too. "'Their bodies were carried away into the unreachable mass of the enemy, "'there to serve the foul weaver purpose. "'And the temptation of their call remained.' Ashimai could feel it like a buzz on the skin, a hummed undercurrent to the swordplay. Her body ran with gore. Hair was now slick with blood, not war-wax. A lunge forward. Her foot slipped. The weaver's surged towards her. Jeris's hand was under her elbow, his blades flashing to her defense. There was no time for thanks. Ashimai could feel her heart thundering in her head. The weaver legacy in her blood was burning to break loose. She had no idea how she managed to swing both her sword and keep it at bay at the same time. Blood had splattered crimson arches on her skin, and the plunge and thrust of her blade seemed to hardly stop. Yet curiously she felt to be most powerful. Leaping over a downed weaver, she roared, and with a thunderous stroke severed the head of another. The fountain of blood caught even Ashima by surprise. Ground was sodden, churned to mud by the ebb and flow of feet and claws, and made uneven by the fallen bodies. Something to her right, just beyond the edge of conscious sight, moved at her. Spinning, she caught the shape on the front of her shield, but the weight of it and the uncertain footing tumbled her backwards, over her last victim. No room remained for tricky maneuvers here. Warrior and weaver tumbled over, and in the chaos, Ashime lost her sword. She had a sudden impression of red claws and the raw interior of a cavernous mouth. This weaver had a good, tight grip on her and was in no mood to loosen it. When the two of them finally came to a stop, it had looped its muscular, serpentine body about her legs and the lower edge of her shield, mashing the cold steel into her flesh. She looked up into its alien maw. A pair of yellowed, pincer-like teeth crunched together while a corona of needle-fine, articulated legs lashed at her upper body and face. They were skittering in her arm, making little drumbeats. She had no desire to stick her hands in there. She scrambled at her leg to find her dirt. Eshimé grunted and tried to heave it free, but it hissed and tightened its grip on her legs, even working its way further up her body. Probing legs were in danger of reaching her exposed face. Ashime swirled profusely, and a number of them found the gaps in her armour and lanced down into her arms. She rolled frantically, struggling against the incredibly tight grip the thing had on her. Now its tail had successfully entangled her arms and an arched back, ready to jab its dagger-like claws into her eyes. Ashime vainly twisted her face away. A sickening crunch came as the weaver's carapace was pierced, like when lobsters are broken open and a fountain of juice splattered onto her breastplate, stinking hot and vile. Christel yanked his sword and the whole slaughtered thing came free. He helped Ashime to her feet and with a grimace shoved it off the end. Never had she seen a more beautiful sight than the battle-scarred face of the former tavern owner. "'Wouldn't dish that up at the beaver!' he growled, "'making sure to sever whatever served the thing as a head "'before throwing it into the mellow. "'She grinned her thanks before setting her back to Pustles, the solid one. "'Now she realised they were on the edge of the fight. "'To their rear, the fringes of the scarlet walls were struggling "'with the piled-up lines of weavers. She weight made forward movement now impossible. "'Still, they had done well to get this far. "'In those scant moments, all were kin and brother to her, "'and the weavers too had learned something.' a fear. One backed away when she swung at him, human eyes, in an inhuman face. Some little spark of humanity demanded life in the wake of death, she thought. On alien jointed legs, it swung away. As granted respite, had space to look about. Many of the wolves were missing, but many weavers were down or falling. They rolled back like a tide, scrambling over each other in bizarre retreat. But there were many more of them, and once the primes exerted control, they would find a new spine. No second chance would be given to some. Back to Skullig, as she may call, waving her blood-coated blade. The wolves obeyed, as many of the clansmen would not have. They had scythe through the weave. It was better than she'd thought. But there would be other charges. The sally ports opened, and they returned. Few enough wounded were among them, and none of their dead. No one would speak of their fate. Perhaps tomorrow they would face them across their sword's leap. Jairus's hand was on her arm, swinging her about. He too was covered in blood, but he was barely out of breath. That was wrong, Ash. She was in no mood for this. Ignoring him, she turned to Roseau. Get the wolves fed. This evening we may need another charge. She waited for her men to funnel away. She had a slap on the back for some, and a jovial word for others. They lightened under her gaze, calling it a victory. After all, they sorely needed one. Connor waited with Jerris, nervously edging from one foot to the other. Ashime raised her hands and made for the barracks. I don't want to hear. Jerris followed after her determinedly. It was very foolish, Ash. Each charge give the weavers more meat to use against us. I don't understand why... No, that's right, she snapped, spinning on him. You don't. These are not figures in a game, Jerris. These are men and women with hearts and souls... We must sally forth now and then, or else become farm animals waiting for the slaughter. You don't know them as I do. But surely Jairus is right, Connor said. We're only boosting their side. Sweet Mother, can't you see? They already have enough out there to take this place three times over. Morale is vital to us. Ashime had never seen Jairus angry until now. His mild amber eyes boiled with anger that seemed unwarranted, and he stepped forward blazing hot. Ashy can't you ever be wrong about anything? For a brief second, she was too flabbergasted to say anything, looking between the two of them in shock. No, I can't, she replied with an equal fire. I've been wrong about every damn thing in my life for five years, so I won't be wrong about anything ever again. On that point, Jerris and Connor had to concede defeat as she marched off. Certainly, they were not going to follow. But they did not charge again. Once had buoyed enough spirits, so that the barracks rang with tales of valour, enough to keep the clan's honour intact. Ashime chose to eat by herself, stirring her own dark thoughts. Jerris and Connor huddled by the fire, nursing cooling bowls of broth and shaking their heads in her direction. They sported minor cuts and bruises, but none that rankled as much as the verbal ones they'd received from her. "'That is certainly the most stubborn woman I've ever met,' "'Connor whispered to Jeris. "'It glared at him. "'I hope you don't mean that in a complimentary way. "'What?' "'It seems to me,' Jeris sighed, "'that men say that about women they admire. "'And like.' "'Connor shifted uncomfortably, not meeting his friend's eye. "'You don't know. (laughs) "'Well, you know, I didn't mean it that way.' "'Stubbornness is a close friend of pride,' "'Jeris said, turning its back on Eshimé. And she can't always be right, always be in control. Still, she was about the ships. The ships? Connor grinned. Lou was telling me that the weavers made an attack on the ships in the harbour this morning. Seems if Ashime hadn't put the mothers and godlings aboard, they would have ripped it apart. They used their arts to keep the vessels safe. She knew about the underwater ones. It was probably Geron's experience with them that made her think of it. Connor looked sideways at Jerris. Something was wrong here. It seemed on edge. What do you know? Nothing, Jerris sighed, looking suddenly overcome with tiredness. Nothing, really. It's just that when the Alpha gets here, which will be soon, all of this will be nothing. The Alpha? The living soul of the Weavers. The leader. The young Sitkin smiled broadly. Well, then, if it's the heart, it can be cut out and killed. Let it come, the sooner the better. Don't say that, Jera shuddered. The alpha will not come in its actual body, but wearing the skin of another. But even so, it will be enough. Enough? It waved its hand, taking in warriors, wolves, skellig, and Eshimé. To end all of this, my friend, easily enough. been nibbling at the back of her mind, all the while she considered abandoning Skellet. Something that had been bothering her in a quiet corner of her brain. As she paced through the corridors and into the inner ward, she went through it. The weavers had been in Crisfell before, invading through the outer islands, much as they had this time. It must have been the Dark Ages, when clans warred with one another, and there was no central leader. Truly, there was no real way of knowing how long ago it had been, and they had covered their tracks carefully. So how, then, had Geron known about them? Oni's Connor's revelation had broken through the barriers of racial memory. But what had stirred Geron's mind? Skellig's library was small and dusty, and the door hinges almost rusted through. Bearing all of her strength down on it, may shoved her way in. Gasping and holding her hands before her, she stoically set to the task. Eddies of dust and mould twisted and turned about her. The answer lay here somewhere. Geron had once told her about the summers that his tyrant father had forced him to spend down here. There were vast arrays of crumbling chests filled with dust and paper. She leave it open the first one and wiped her eyes, preparing for the long task. Four more days passed in that peculiar, disjointed fashion. By day she would take her place on the battlements, and then, fortified by some of Solistra's potions, she would drag herself down to the library. They were restless times. Clan warriors glowered at the weaver mass assembling, muttering under their breaths. This was no siege or battle that they had been expecting. Where was the glory in this? When the battle lust was on a warrior, after all, it should never be denied. Clansmen were born to fight, not wait behind stone walls. Many glowered at her when they thought her back was turned. The weavers remained as silent as ranks of corn, waiting. No one had any doubt of that. Sometimes vague movements would rustle through them, a shifting of flesh that only tightened the defender's frustration, like a reflex triggered once too often. As she may guess, that something was afoot. Certainly she'd been expecting them to move on the castle in the second day, when even more arrived from the south, but the new arrivals simply took their places amongst their compatriots. Not even Gerus could decipher weaver motives. It kept to its chosen place, leaning against the tower wall, its amber eyes never leaving the mass below. Its thoughts were its own. Only when she was cut off like this did Ashime realise how much she had come to depend on Jeris. It seemed not to notice her, and it was odd how much that hurt. Twice during those days the wolves sallied forth. Warriors demanded to be doing something, and Ashimay knew that if she did not allow it, she would have a riot on her hands. Watching them from the walls, her heart wanted to be with them, shedding blood and honest sweat of war, but the bitter truth was she couldn't trust herself. Weaver Rage and Power was now always with her, and coming face to face with them was not a risk she wished to take. Imagining the horrors of her father's bane upon her comrades sent her hurrying back to the library. At least there she could perhaps help them. You must sleep. Connor ran a finger along the dusty shelf, observing her from the corner of his eye. Three nights, and only a couple of hours, Ash. You cannae go on like this. You'd be surprised what I can do, she said, shaking the cobwebs from her hair and drawing the candle closer to the page she was examining. "'Weaver blood won't keep you going forever,' he said. "'There must be an end, even for that.' "'So you know, I suppose Jeris told you,' Ashime gave him a sharp look. "'Well, I just hope you can keep it quiet. The last thing I want is clan turning on clan and here.' "'I know how to be still,' he returned mildly. Ashime snorted disparagingly. "'I haven't seen much evidence of it.' "'No reply.' "'He settled down among the papers and particles, "'leaning his head back against the wall, and dozed. "'Ashime shook her head, smiling a little when he wasn't looking. "'Connor seemed quite happy to follow her about, "'and truthfully she was glad of the company. "'And even if his physical presence sometimes drew her attention away "'from the task at hand, she was glad of it. "'The incident in the tunnels had not been mentioned since, "'but it, like her rage, bubbled away under the surface.' Lack of sleep and food was making her lose concentration. Focusing tired eyes on the page before her, as she may try to decipher the ancient words. Criswell's clans had never been enthusiastic about writing. Song, drinking and friendship. These were the things they valued most highly. Still, even in the dark times, some had kept records. Crumbling bit of parchment she held in her hand, and had been puzzling over for hours, had been written almost 600 years before. The hand was almost illegible, the dialect foreign, and many words had changed. If only she could have spared Lou from the ramparts. It had caught her attention because it was topmost in a pile right near the door. They seemed to have been sorted recently, bearing little dust, and as she leaned over it, she could almost feel Geron's breath on it. The words dropped into a place. There was a list. A Marakai list of ships made to order all those centuries ago. A huge order made possible in those days by the larger population of Crispell, all apparently for the invasion of Sitken. She rifled through more books, finding a passage that had piqued her interest before. It was a small incident recorded by a godling of the day. A mention of a man of the clan Marakai, but not of the clan Marakai. Found among the seaweed after a terrible storm, it was in the tribe's worst winter, and he promised that the glory of the clan would be increased by a pilgrimage into the deep. The date was almost three years earlier than the order. They'd brought something back with them or perhaps more precisely, someone. And from the great deep nothing ever came, not fish or creature, only weaver. She sat back on her haunches. Some of the answers she needed were here. An invasion of the Sitkin Island, hundreds of years ago, an invasion that had not succeeded. She glanced across at the snoozing Connor. Could it be that the answer to how the weavers had been repulsed rested with the Sitkin? Something her grandfather had said to her in childhood returned in a flash of insight. She recalled the smell of the salt air outside his hall, his rough hands grasping Ashime, his eyes boring into hers. A broken metathale plant trailed from her fist, and he had looked so angry. Ashime, this is a blow to the house. Never, never destroy this plant. It is the divine gift given to these islands. It is tender and gentle and must be cosseted. Later, when the winters were harsher, less and less of it grew on the island. Only a few plants had survived into her teens. The plant had never been a native of the islands. Its name in Dunleary had been Surythmia, gift of the north. Not North Crisfell. Further north. Sidken, her heart lifted. Surely they would be able to find the answers there. White light exploded about her, ears roaring, Pain, hot and loud, the sensation passed like a burning brand about her, pressing down, as she may twist it against it, but then just as quickly it passed. Her face was in the dust, her mouth thick with it. Connor was at her side, holding her head away from the wall. Patterns in the dirt told her that she had writhed about in the teeth of a massive seizure. She knew then. The thing that had been staring at her in the face all this time. All hell was breaking loose about them, even as she scrambled to her feet and pulled Connor out of the library. The sweet ache in the pit of her stomach, the scream of the rage, was louder than she had ever heard it before. The Alpha's presence was upon them. It sang to all with blood to hear. It demanded of all those with blood to hear. Those who had never experienced the light before were mere babes before its demands. Already the screams were reaching them. I hope you've enjoyed this chapter of Weaver's Web. If you want to get your hands on an E or print edition of this novel, you can do so through my website, which is pjvallantime.net. On this podcast, you've heard Ghost Song by Hands Upon Black Earth, which is available through magnatune.com. All other music in this podcast supplied by T. Morris. Find out more about T at tmorris.com. Thanks for listening.